Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So today I am sitting down with Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. She is a clinical psychologist, relationship expert, author of I Didn't Sign Up For This, and host of the podcast I'm Not Your Shrink. Dr. Tracy's mission is to help women break old relationship cycles and find joy in the relationships. She helps to empower women and couples to improve their communication and build strong, healthy connections within themselves and their partners. I'm so excited for today's episode, so let's get into it. So Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Invisible Scars. Thank you so much, Jessalyn, for inviting me into your space and also for the work that you're doing right now. This is such important work and it's a privilege to be able to sit with you today. Oh, thank you so much. Um, You know, I said in a previous interview, I'm so lucky to have a seat at this table with women like you, with people like you. It's just like a dream come true. I love it. So before we kind of get in to get to know you, you know, we love to start every episode with something we call mantra moments. And I would love for you to share, you know, something that you do that helps empower women and couples to improve their communication and build strong and healthy connections, because this is what your entire podcast and your career is based on. And I love it. So this is one that I've really hooked into for myself, but I think it applies to a lot of the female listeners in my podcast space, as many people come with a certain type of personality that we all have in ways, which tends to lean towards high expectations of ourselves, towards perfectionism, towards need for control. And I truly relate to those parts within myself as well. So my go-to mantra that I use for myself in hard moments, and then also passing on to my clients and those in my community is, I do enough and I am enough. And I think those are really powerful to just hold on to. I do enough and I am good enough. Yes, so true. I love that. And you know, right now for myself, I said earlier, we're evacuated right now because of the wildfires in Kelowna and just being completely displaced. I've actually been saying that to myself a lot too, which has been so powerful. Not just that, but then I sit every morning and I'm like, I am safe. My family is safe. Like just those reminders, right? It's so powerful. There's another one I sit in, and I think this one is really important in our partnerships and our couple relationships. And this one also comes from a bit of a personal note, which is the longstanding experience of myself of being told that I was too sensitive. And I had that message throughout my life and really having to work on that one. And I can actually even remember the moment I brought that up in my own therapy work and my therapist saying, yeah, and your sensitivity has gotten you to where you are today. So in the context of our relationships, when it comes to trusting our own experience of trusting what we need, trusting what we are feeling, I think it's really important for us to sit in this, what I'm feeling is real and it matters. Mm -hmm. And for many people, I think sometimes we need to know that maybe we choose to do something with that, or maybe we don't. But in any of our healing, in any work that we do, whether it's within ourselves or sharing and communicating with our partners, we have to first start with believing what it is that's happening inside of us, because then that can start the next steps, as I know we'll talk more about today. 
Mm -hmm, Totally. I love that. And also I've found, I mean, I'm someone who's always been told I'm too sensitive too. And I've found that my sensitivity is actually my superpower, right? It's made me empathetic and connect with other humans. And I think that that's really important. It's such a superpower. And it wasn't until after the birth of my second that I discovered the Aaron's work around highly sensitive people and coming to understand that I am a highly sensitive person and that I experience things so deeply to to the point of um, I'm easily overstimulated and overwhelmed. Clothing is really important in terms of what I'm wearing and how it feels on my body. And when I'm sitting beside my child, and even if there's the threat of them falling over and hurt and hurting themselves, my body jolts. And, you know, I just think of coming back to that sense of there isn't this there's not something wrong with me. Our society often tells us this message of pull it together, pull your socks up, no sense crying over spilled milk. Um, There are worse things that are happening in the world. And this is real to me. This is what's happening. And this is something that I can use to connect with others and to understand them and to help others. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And the work that you're doing is so amazing. And I would love actually for you to tell us a little bit about what you do and how you first got into this space and what made you want to become a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's such a big question. <laughs> I, lo- I, love, <laughs> I love these questions. Okay. Um, you know, I think I am the younger sister. My sister is five years older than me. And with that age difference, there was always this ability to watch what was happening in the family. And I I think I'm more of that observant, internal type person. And I became really curious about why people did the things they did, how people were interacting. I could see dynamics between my sister and my parents when I was young. And then that transposed in a way to then my sister coming to me when I was a teen and she'd come and flop on my bed and say, you know, are we dating? Are we not? And and being the younger one, I, w- I would just say to her, well, why don't you ask? Just yeah, so go, simple. And, go and communicate what you want and need. So that um, initially led me to wanting to be- go to med school and become a psychiatrist, not really knowing at the time the root of psychology and what a therapist and psychologist did. And I did my undergrad at Brock University. They have this really great program back then um, that was uh, part of a pre-med school track. And so I joined that. And throughout that first year, I had so, so many great experiences, but came to realize that the true piece of what I was curious about was human behavior and not so much about going the medicine route and decided that I wasn't ready to cut people open and do all of those steps before getting to psychiatry. <laughs> so I switched paths into psychology and stumbled into attachment theory and doing my honors with a set of data about couples and relationship satisfaction and their attachment styles. And from there, just fell in love with understanding how two people make it work in one of our most important relationships, how complex and difficult it is to bring together two people with their own Mm -hmm. histories, experiences, attachment styles, and continued on to pursue my PhD in clinical psychology. And as part of a psychologist, I remember entering in and speaking to our coordinator and I said, I'm going to be a couples therapist. Just give me the couples. 
please, that's where I'm going. And he had said, well, you need to become the general psychologist first. So you need to have a broad scope of understanding human behavior, mental health disorders, interventions for individuals, and then you can specialize in couples therapy. So that was the clinical route that then paired side by side with the research route because the PhD requires you to do a dissertation. And my supervisor at the time was Dr. Sue Johnson. She's the co-creator of Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. And so I spent those six years researching and working with couples and haven't looked back. Oh, so interesting. You know, I love the work that you're doing in couples because from my own healing process, I know how important it is for both people to be working at the same time. And I've witnessed it myself. You can't have one without the other, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's so important. And I think what a lot of people get tripped up on is that somehow we can just go and do couples work and we're working on the relationship. And yet the relationship is made up of three parts. There's your stuff, there's your partner's stuff, and then there's the dynamic that's happening between you two. And so for people who might be listening saying, gosh, you know, it'd be really nice if my partner would come and do this work with me. I want to remind you that there's a lot of work you can do within yourself. Mm -hmm. And that within that, when you change in that dynamic, there's the possibility for everybody to change over time. Yeah. And I've been through that personally. I love that you're saying this. I'm so interested in this because we're at the point right now where we're working on ourselves separately, which has been so beneficial to what I'm going through and has also kind of revealed what he needs to work on that he didn't even realize. And now we're ready to come into this space together, but it's really just enhanced our relationship, even doing the work separately. Yeah. It's, it's so important to do some of that self-work. And it's not to say that there's any one bad person that has to do no. all the work. It's it's just to say we all have these early experiences and these early assumptions and perceptions about ourself, about other people, and about the world. And at some point, I mean, we don't we don't get to go through life without struggle in some way. And it's different for everybody, but we all show up into our relationship with a suitcase. And inside of that suitcase, we can either choose to ignore all of those previous experiences that we've had, or we open up the suitcase and make sense of what's inside of it, and then choosing how we want to show up in our relationship. And I think what is so important is that in choosing that, we can say, gosh, you know, I grew up in a home that there was so much criticism. And... I happen to now be that person who's critical and I don't want to show up that way anymore. So I'm going to choose to let that go and stop doing that piece because it's not really who I want to be. It's kind of like there's this, um, I often view it as gifts being passed down and your parent gives you this wool jacket and you know fur is not really in anymore. And so you're like, no, fur going out. So I'm going to get rid of it. You get to choose that in your partnership. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, through my own experience, I know that therapy is a process. And I would love to know for everyone who's listening, who's wanting to get into that space with their partner, if you could just let us know the process of couples therapy and just some of the key themes that you've found working as a couples therapist. Mm -hmm. When we look at the process of couples therapy, I think it's important to remember first that all therapists are going to look, are going to work differently. What I like to do when couples come to me is I see them first together as a partnership. 
And in that initial meeting, I'm just scratching the surface and getting to know who you are and what your story is, how you met, what attracted you to each other. And then if I'm a fly on the wall, what does it look like when you two get into a disagreement? For my practice, what's, what's really important is then meeting each person individually so I can get a sense of who that person is outside of the dynamic of the relationship. It gives a chance for me to check in with anything they're not sharing necessarily with me, um, but also so we can talk freely and openly about the relationship and also about our own histories. And from there, then I come back together and I give a formulation of who you are and what your story is and how you've come to be into this place that maybe doesn't feel good. This is someone who might be more struggling in their relationship, but it's also for people, and I always encourage people of this, you don't have to wait until you're at rock bottom for couples therapy. And actually, if there's one thing that I want more people to understand is that go to couples therapy to learn more about who you are, what makes up the strengths in your relationships, and where are those areas that as we all have blind spots, where are those areas that you can learn more about yourself and each other? So then you can plan for those hard moments and those big transitions. I always remind people, it's not if you struggle, it's not if you're going to hit a hard spot in your relationship, it's when. Mm. As soon as that person means something to you, that's the moment that they can hurt you because they're your attachment figure. So going back to the question of uh, the process of couples therapy and what I commonly see, couples show up in my office often reporting some of the most common things that we hear. There might be disagreements over childcare or household, the mental load type items. There are often arguments around intimacy, around in-laws, around finances. And what I'm looking at is actually what's underneath that which is what are our core longings and needs that are no longer being met in the relationship? What's that negative cycle that is showing up? And how are you ending up pushing each other away rather than trying to build that connection? I often tell couples, it's not about the dishes. It's not about the socks on the floor or the boundaries being held at bedtime with baby and the number of books being read. It's that underneath peace, which we all need to know. Am I important? Do I matter to you? Am I enough for you? Am I adequate? And those come from our attachment needs and longings. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I I would assume too, and I may be wrong, but things that would maybe trigger you that you're not even aware of, right? That you didn't know were there are then in couples therapy are starting to be unraveled and you're like, oh, that actually wasn't about you. Mm. Yes. I love that you added that in here. It's the something is being reflected back to you that you maybe have not worked through or you weren't aware of. And in some ways, it's like, oh, okay, I can actually thank this experience to show me this part of me. And using a lot of compassion for ourselves of we all hit these hard moments. And then what do I need to do in that moment? Do I need to do some processing? Do I need to do some journaling, writing this out? Is this something that I need to share with my partner? And that self-reflective ability is really important in our relationship. Otherwise, we show up in those spaces of criticism and contempt and defensiveness and shutting down, and it becomes a, a tennis match back and forth of finding who the bad guy is rather than playing on the same team. Totally. And I think too, I like as you're talking about it, I'm picturing this happening in this space and then thinking like, I would have such a better appreciation for my partner. And just like, I'm sorry that, you know, that wasn't about you and, you know, working on it together. And I just think that that 
probably really enhances your partnership and your connection. I like to tell the story of the Dove shampoo bottle in my <laughs> in my bathroom, and it's and it's just Dove soap, and it's not you know this like expensive or whatever it is something precious to me, but it is it's my soap. It's not it's not my husband's. It's mine. He has his, and for whatever reason, his is really in this beautiful, nice gray bottle, and we won't have to go into the marketing of those two different <laughs> styles, but. He would run out of his and then he would use mine and then he would leave the cap open. And then I would go to use it and it's getting crusty. I can't get it out or it's empty and I have no soap left. So repeatedly I would go to him, please, can you please just close the lid? Please, can you replace the soap? Please don't use my soap. And he would hear me coming to him about the soap. He's like, okay, Tracy, what's with this soap? <laughs> like, is this really the big thing? And and it's comical, right? Because it yeah. is. But Jessalyn, then, you know, I am a couples therapist, yes, and I'm human. So then I decide, well, I'll just put the soap somewhere else so you can't use the soap. Or I will leave the empty soap bottle for you to maybe replace. And that backfired completely because then it was me ending up without soap. So I had to do a little bit of digging. And it came back to this, what is this signaling for me? What does this remind me of? And it reminds me of being the younger sister in my family where my space or my things were not respected. And I was trying to say to my husband, when you use these things and leave it like that, it's like you don't hold me in your mind. And I need you to think of me and what it's like mm -hmm. and respect that this is my thing. Yeah. And so once he understood that underlying meaning of the soap, we I'm sorry, I only laugh because I hear you so loudly. I have my own version of Dove Soap. <laughs> What's your version of it? Oh my gosh. Um, I have this thing about my husband eating off my plate. And it really, oh. inf like, there's something about it that I just don't like to share food. I have car snacks and that I have in my glove box. And then he comes and drives my car and I come in and my car snacks are gone. And it really infuriates me. Just and it's not, the about, the it's not, not about, about the car snacks. It's not about the car snacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the other thing I like to remind couples or teach them, maybe not even reminding, but teach them is how powerful it is in our relationship when we hang out in our partner's space. And that's the self other context. It's the mentalization of I have my own separate self and you are a separate person. You have your own separate self. And then I'm also reacting to your separate self. And this is what I teach in my book around building interdependence and how important it, it is to build both autonomy, that's the self, and also connection. Mm -hmm. And so in relationships, we want to be able to say, well, what's happening for my partner right now? If I'm using this, can I take a moment here to consider where they might be and how this might impact them? That's what our partnerships are about. We want to know that you hold me in your mind. When you go and reach for my car snacks and you eat them all, are you holding me in mind the next time I get in the car and I'm hungry? Yeah. Or in yeah, my case, I, hangry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. I can't wait for my husband to listen to this episode. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> You know, I would love to know too, because I think we all have them, but what would you say is a common misconception mm -hmm. about couples therapy? Mm -hmm. The biggest one is that uh, the therapist and your partner will team up on you mm -hmm. and make you out to be the bad guy or the bad person. And gosh, this is the furthest thing in all of my years of therapy. 
And I share this experience in my book actually about the one time a client has had walked out of the therapy room with me and she left the session. And it's one of those moments as a therapist that you don't forget. And there we show up in the room and it's really challenging because you're vulnerable. You're talking about hard things. And what we also know in couples therapy is that you don't always leave feeling good. And in those first few sessions for sure, or maybe the first year, you're going through mud, really sticky mud, and you might leave feeling more raw. Uh, Some clients have described it feeling like a a live wire. And as a therapist, you know, one of the biggest things I work on doing is trying to wrap things up at the end of session. And sometimes that rawness still stays alive in us and we're not able to package that back up. But there's no bad person in my therapy room. And I tell people right away, as soon as we start therapy, that you are in a dynamic, you are in a pattern, and that cycle is the bad guy. I'm using my air quotes as the Mm -hmm. bad guy. That's the one that we want to become shoulder to shoulder and fight against that. Because it's the cycle, that dynamic that gets in between us and stops us from feeling like a team. I just had worked through this with another couple recently where anytime something stressful showed up, they went against each other rather than being together against the stress outside of them. So that's the biggest thing. I see no bad person. I see each person as tapping into behaviors that were once adaptive and help them to survive. And today those are familiar strategies, but they might not be working. So that's one important piece. And then I think the other piece is that sometimes people come and they're like, okay, we are rock bottom. Give us the fix. Tell us how to save this. And at that point, I wish I could. And and yet we have to remember that this doesn't happen overnight. It is not a five session fix. This is a, we are going back through the mud because you have years of days and weeks and months and moments of times where you've disconnected and hurt each other. And so it takes a lot of time to then move forward that you, you didn't get here overnight. So it's not going to be an overnight process to get out of it. People listening are probably two sides of it, like, let's do this. And then the other side is probably thinking, oh my gosh, is it too late for us? Right. So I would love to know if you have any advice for anyone who is considering it. Um, And, you know, it's never too late, right? If you and your partner are both committed to change, then it's never too late. Mm -hmm. And and that's the other thing too. So if you have been sitting in uh, distress for a long time in this feeling of, I don't know where we're going, give yourself compassion because sometimes there are other things that have been front and center in your life. Um, Sometimes those early years of childhood of, of navigating our children, if there is familial, like family stress, if there's work stress, sometimes the relationship goes in the back burner and that's a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. So as long as you and your partner are both committed to go forward and that looks like saying, I will do my fair share. I will show up here. I will put my effort in. But if you're saying they need to change, uh, there's nothing wrong with me and I'm not going to change, then we're going to stay stuck in that. And we need to be able to see that there are two people there. Mm-hmm. So, and here's the other thing, Jessalyn, too, is that a lot of time people will say to their partners, 
we need to go to therapy. We need to do couples therapy. And they resist and resist and resist. And I like to empower people and give them that sense of agency and say, okay, if your partner is not there, there are other things that you can do. And you choose to do that for yourself. And maybe by doing it for yourself, it impacts the relationship or maybe it comes to a different road. So a lot of people um, joined me in Be Connected. I created Be Connected out of the repeated emails and requests for, I don't know what to do. My partner doesn't want to come for couples therapy, but I want something to be different. So I created this space and there are couples inside of it who are taking the video lessons and doing the guides and improving their relationship. And then there are other people who show up just as a single partner doing this work and then also seeing the changes take place. Mm -hmm. And I just want to touch on that a little bit. Can you tell us about this program and what it is? Yeah, it's it's an online membership. So there's it's $37 a month. And what was most important to me was that it needs to be something affordable because therapy for many people is out of reach. Mm-hmm. And it also needs to be accessible in the sense that if you have a newborn, if you can't get out of the house, you can't get a sitter, if the commute is too far or you're in a location that doesn't support you getting into the office of a therapist and you want that, um, you would prefer to have that and that's not possible or your partner's not interested, but maybe they'll sit beside you listen and listen to something. So I have 12 core lessons of all of the core skills and tools that I teach couples in my office. And alongside that, recognizing that we all learn in different modalities, I've created guides to go with each lesson. And lessons like what is your attachment style and how you can shift into more security, recognizing what your cycle is, learning what's underneath your cycle. So I walk couples through or individuals through how to identify that, how to stop, how to stop that cycle. And then also really specific communication tools. Like how do we actually get into problem solving and compromise? How do we do this thing called validation that everybody talks about? And it's supposed to be so easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my favorite part of the program is me being in the space. And I offer a once a month Q&A call so that people ask their questions and we can have that tangible support there where it's not a therapy session, but it is the, okay, so this is what's happening in your cycle. How can we stop it? Here are three things that you can try. And it's been so cool. I've had some members with me since the start and they just keep saying to me how much things have changed for them. So it's, it's powerful work. So if therapy is not in reach, remember there are other resources, there are books, there are online programs, and just ensure that you're checking out who's running those those programs. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you've created that because it really opens the door for people who A, are a little bit afraid, like you said, Uh Uh and, you know, economic status or anything like that, or not having a babysitter, not able to really, those times don't work for you or whatever it is, like, it really takes the fear out of it just to kind of get your feet wet. And I think that's so important. There's a ton yeah. of fear around therapy, right? Especially, uh-huh. cu- especially couples therapy. Like I just keep coming back to what you said about there's no bad guys in this room. And I just want everyone to hear that because I think it's so important. That's all of our fears when we go into it, right? That someone's going to be wrong and someone's going to be right. Oh, of course, 100%. And I always tell couples, there is no right or wrong. This mm-hmm. is, you each have your own perceptions and experiences. We need to build the understanding on each side because once we have that understanding, then we can find the compromise or the or the solution together. But if we don't have that understanding, it's impossible to find the path forward to co-create what it is that you need. Mel Robbins posted a reel recently that had said something like, most people don't go to therapy. And yet for many, we're showing up, people who are interested in a podcast like this, mm-hmm. 
they are wishing and desiring and thinking that others are going to therapy where most people are not. So I think it's important to recognize that not everybody is on the healing journey and it's not our job to pull others to where we're going, but rather to build acceptance and awareness of where other people are. Yeah, it's so true. And you know, um, one thing I'm particularly interested in in your work is if you um, work with couples where one or both individuals have experienced trauma, because this is something we're going through on my end. And I mean, I would really love to know what you have to say about this. Yeah. Yeah. Something that shows up for me is how partners can support each other and what that looks like. Um, so yes, couples do show up and they have their own trauma histories, one partner or both partner. And it is a, a layer within the dynamic. Some people have attachment injuries in their relationship, which looks like it could be infidelity. Um, it could be uh, you know, I think of this one couple that had a family significant event and the other person wasn't there for them, right? Those become these injuries. These are the repeated moments that show up in the relationship. So, you know, when I think about the the partner, so your husband supporting you, how important it is that when you are in any kind of hypervigilant state or feeling overwhelmed or overstimulated and dysregulated, that they are not personalizing that experience. And there's always this balance of and, right? So I'm not personalizing this. And also, how are we together meeting each other's needs? So there are still two people here. Um, so I think that's really important is to remember, this isn't about you, that you happen to be maybe the mirror at times holding it up, but it's not about you and your worthiness. And I think then the other piece is being able to understand your partner and their triggers being able to have a clear map of how I'm going to support you in those moments. Because sometimes what ends up happening is like you're both trying to get to the to the road, to the direction of connection. And yet you're coming at it from different perspectives that sometimes we haven't explicitly said it out loud. Here's what I do and here's what it means. It's actually not about you. And okay, well, here's how I'm understanding it. And here's what I think it means. Okay, how can we then walk side by side? to that goal of being on the road together. And I think the other thing too, and this goes for both partners, is you don't have to have all the answers. I sit with couples who really get stuck in this problem solving and wanting to fix. And it's such a human condition for us because when we see the person we love feeling uncomfortable, they're stuck in that tension or the dysregulation, we want to come in and like fix it and just like vacuum it out. We do that with our children too, right? Our children mm -hmm. have these big feelings. We want to come in and say, yeah, okay, it's not a big deal. We're good. We're good. And and yet we know that that doesn't really work, that we, yeah. we need more of the, let me sit beside you. Let me just have my presence here with you and trusting that I don't have to fix. There's this, this piece that I like to talk about with heterosexual couples, and this is not a generalization for everybody, but this is what I tend to see, is that women are more concerned with connection. And so it's often around the, do I matter? Do you see me? Like, can you connect with me? Am I important to you? Where men tend to sit in the adequacy piece. And often I hear from men, I feel like a failure. I'm such a failure. I will never meet your needs. I'm not good enough. And so again, going back to that depersonalization, what's, what can be important for, for a husband then in this situation is being able to say, okay, I am enough and this is your experience. 
I see that you're struggling right now and this isn't about me. Or I hear you saying you need me to do X, Y, Z, and you're not saying that I'm not good enough. And that is this interdependence piece of autonomy. Here's me and myself, and then connection of me coming back together. Mm-hmm. And I always remind people, I teach couples that I have my own thoughts, feelings, opinions, desires, and wishes, and you have all of yours. And those are separate. And we don't make somebody feel a certain way. That is their reaction to something. And then our job is to consider that interdependence piece, which is, okay, I can see how I communicated that and how that impacted you. And that was not my intention. And then for the other partner to still hold in mind, this is my partner and they love me. Their intention is not to to hurt me. They do have my best interest. They're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to be messy. So I think those are those two really important pieces that come in there. And one more piece is self-care for both partners. For sure. I love that. And I love hearing you say that because something that we've learned throughout this process and what has really been eye-opening for me is that while my partner is supporting me in what I'm going through and what's often not talked about is how hard and triggering and difficult it is for them on the other side of it as well. Because they are really, I don't want to say neglected, but oftentimes when they're supporting somebody going through such a traumatic experience, their needs, wants, and all of that are are neglected to a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Both people matter in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's really, that's been really eye-opening for me. And also while I'm being triggered to try and remember that and hold space for him as well, it's, it's a process, right? I think there's this piece here of being able to recognize when I am triggered, this doesn't mean that my partner has to absolutely be there for me in full capacity in the exact way that I need. That would be ideal and that would be lovely. And our partners sometimes are not able to do that. I was working with a client recently and we had stumbled into this belief that there's this injury, they have hurt me. And so they should be responding to me when my hurt boils over. And we had to do a little bit of that self-other piece of being able to see, you know, what's your partner's experience in that moment? They were coming to you to connect. It just so happened to trigger that part inside of you. And you try to get them repeatedly to understand this, but they then get triggered into their stuff. And then that just shows up into their own rage and anger and away they go into their cycle. And so how do we then stop that? That might be with so much self-compassion and sitting with you, I put my hand on my heart. This is something, this is my go-to because it connects my body with my breath. And I can say, okay, I'm feeling triggered in this moment, but I know that they won't be able to hear this. And my feelings are still important. I'm going to trust that these are my feelings and bring them up at a different time Mm -hmm. where I know we'll both be regulated and we can both work through that. Yeah. And, and that's a really, gosh, a lot of what we do is we talk about being willing to sit in discomfort in our life. Yeah. It's really important to be able to sit in those uncomfortable times and feelings for sure. I love what you're doing in this space and how you're helping couples. I mean, my husband and I have listened to your podcast and just so many aha moments of like, oh, I love okay, that. that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would love for you to tell us about your podcast. So you're the host of I'm Not Your Shrink podcast and it's so great. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that and the kind of guests that you have and the topics that you discuss. Mm-hmm. I created the podcast 
coming out of my own journey into motherhood and how much guilt I would carry with me and of being a working mom, if I wanted to use that term, I don't love that term, but of being outside the home with Mm -hmm. my clients and then coming home and trying to balance all of the things, which I don't believe we ever truly find balance. And I found (laughs) myself getting stuck in the narratives that so many women do, which is around being hard on ourselves, comparing ourselves to other people. And the the goal of the podcast is to really show up authentically as myself, because even though I'm a therapist, I'm not your therapist as the listener. And for us to just have real conversations around changing the dialogue in our life, around what it means to live a meaningful life and looking at all facets of that, which a key piece of it is relationships. And then the other piece is doing our own work and understanding ourselves better. I love that because even when talking about relationships, it it plays into every relationship, I feel, and not just the one that you have with your partner, but how you show up with your parents and your friends and your brothers and your sisters and your children. Like These are all tools that we can use throughout all the relationships we have in our life. Yeah. We we don't get to take the relational piece out. We are hardwired to connect with others, whether it's with our family of origin or with a sibling, friends, a romantic lover, someone we work with, and how we understand ourselves. And we haven't even touched on attachment theory. We'll have to save that for another day. But yes. you know, all of these parts of ourselves, they're interacting every day with multiple different things. I like to use um, the understanding of Um, we are responding, our nervous systems are responding to things inside of us. So our own thoughts and feelings and sensations. So if I'm sitting here, you know, I feel a little itch on my head and and I might feel scratchiness in my clothing, or I might have a gurgle in my belly and I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. So I'm responding to internal signals. And then we also have external signals. So something happening outside of my window or in the news or in our communities. Uh, And then there's also the between piece. And this is the me and the other person with me. We are in relationships throughout our day. And that's how we exist. That's how we thrive. We know that loneliness and isolation is a greater risk to our health than cancer and heart disease. So that connection is so important. And I love bringing in that piece around relationships, boundaries, the mental load, all of that. Yes, I love that. I could do an entire episode with you on that. It really hits home for me. I love that. You know, another really exciting thing that I'm looking forward to, you actually have a book coming out. I didn't sign up for this and I'm so excited. Can you tell us about your book? Yes. Can I, I I know listeners can't see it, but I'm going to show you what it looks like. So it's my cover here. It has a gray couch on it. Yeah. I love that there's two cushions. So it's like the two cushions are in relationship with each other. Oh, this book, um, this book is a story of couples who have showed up into my therapy room. There is the story of Emily and Matt who show up in the postpartum period with a three-month-old struggling with the mental load. There's the story of Peter and Corinne who are blending their family and struggling with a difficult ex-wife. There is um, Lydia and Sam who show up to my office saying that Sam has says he wanted to separate and throughout the sessions we discover just how difficult it is for him to set boundaries with his mom. And then there's Ashley who shows up with um, anxiety after having two kids and her husband saying, you're the problem, you go for therapy. So I, through story, show you what it means to build interdependence 
so that we're not tapping into this hyper independence where we say things like, those are your feelings. I'm not responsible for that. You go work on that. Or into that codependency where we self-abandon and we give up ourselves and we don't share our feelings because we're worried the other person will be upset. And what I'm teaching through the stories, and at the end of each chapter, there is an exercise that you can do at home on your own or with your partner to deepen the learning. What I'm teaching is how can we build interdependence in these relationships? And there's one more catch in the book. As I was writing the stories of everyday couples struggling with the everyday problems I see in my office, where they all came to my office saying, I didn't sign up for this, in the sense of what their relationship looked like today, I also found myself saying the same things, crying in my shower after having my second child. And leaving my story out of the book felt like a mess in the sense that it was almost like a barrier of saying, I'm a therapist. I don't have these struggles. Let's just focus on the cases here. And what I know is that some of the most powerful moments with my clients have been when I show up as a human. And I say things like, yeah, I get it. I have those messy moments too. And or, or I think of this one client who had a wall up in our first several sessions and I kept trying to like find the spot. I knew it was in there, but I couldn't open her up to talk more about the core struggle she was having until one day she saw my Instagram story where I'd said something about motherhood and how I felt like I was failing my children and that the mental load was heavy and real and how overwhelming it is and the resentment that I felt. And while I always say to my clients, it's best to not follow me, it is your choice. And we talk about all of the confidentiality pieces. But she came to session after seeing that and had said, oh, you're human too. Okay. So yes, now I can see that you struggle in the same ways that I do. And then she dropped the wall and opened up all of the pieces of her. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm think I'm watching her click with that connection piece with you, right? Which is so important. Yeah, it's connection. We we need connection. So my story's in the book, and it's out on September 12th, and I am so excited for people to get the book and to come along with me on this journey. Oh, it's so exciting, Tracy. And honestly, like as you're telling us the stories that are in the book, it's like click, click, click. Like we can all relate to a little bit of all of those stories. And I just think it's going to help so many people. That's incredible. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you, Jessalyn. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, I would love to know if you could share one resource or piece of advice with listeners, anyone who's navigating trauma or supporting someone who's navigating trauma, what would it be? The strategies that you're using today were really adaptive for you at some point. And there is a lot of information out there in the world. And sometimes it can feel blaming in a way or that we're labeling. And instead, looking to understand these strategies and things that you do and the ways you show up as being just that, they were survival strategies. And then today, being able to come and ask yourself, do I need to hold on to these so tightly? That's beautiful. It actually makes me like tear up because I feel mm. that so deeply. Yeah, that's amazing advice. And it's it's true. You don't need them anymore, right? Yeah, they're hard to put down. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I just want to thank you so much for showing up for me today and being a guest on my podcast. I can't wait for people to hear this and just thank you. Thank you so much, Jessalyn. And thank you to everyone who listened and joined us. Yes. And one more thing, where can everyone find you on social media? 
Yes. And afterwards, if you've listened today, please send me a DM. Let me know what stood out for you. I love hearing from people. Mm-hmm. My handle on all socials are Dr. Tracy D. And then my website is drtracyd.com that has lots of resources available for you there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.